0: Well, thank you, Mimi, and thank you, Steph. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at church. And uh, how good that kids video! I love uh, when those kid videos get put together. And as someone who's a beneficiary, I've got four kids uh, in kids' church in the morning. As someone who's a beneficiary to the hard work that many of you do in teaching our kids, can I extend uh, a thank you and a praise God uh, for the way He uses you? Uh, it's a, it's a massive uh, joy and privilege. To uh, have you guys partner with uh, the parents at Morning Church to raise their kids and know and serve the Lord. Uh, so keep going. But let me begin by praying uh, the words of Psalm 19 as we come to this part of God's Word. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, Your instructions are perfect, renewing our lives. Your testimony is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Your precepts are right, making our hearts glad, and your commands are radiant, making our eyes light up. The fear of you is pure. Your ordinances are altogether reliable and righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Your servant is warned by them, and in keeping your word, there is an abundant reward. Help us now, Father, to listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, some things in life are just uh, necessary. They they must be done. You have to do it. And uh, often those things are just plain annoying. So at the top of my, it is necessary, it must be done, but his annoying list is paperwork. I hate paperwork. It drives me nuts. Uh, But you can't get away with living in our modern world, in our modern age, without paperwork. Uh, You want to open up a bank account. You've got to deal with the bank. You've got to do paperwork. Uh, If you start paying tax, you've got to... You know, sort sorted out with the tax office every year. You want to renew your license or get a license, driver's license, more paperwork. And whenever you go to do this sort of paperwork, they always insist on about 6 million points of ID to verify that paperwork. Uh, and it's frustrating. I hate it. Last time I went to Services New South Wales, uh, I lined up for 45 minutes and uh, I made sure that before I went there, I checked online all the ID stuff that they wanted me to have there. I even had one extra thing. But when I got there, they weren't satisfied. And I had, you know, six million points of ID, and I'm like, come on, really? Do I, do I really need to come back and line up again for, with, you know, 6.5 million points of ID? Uh, is it really necessary? And if you've ever been to services in New South Wales, the person behind the counter often is quite emotionless, and the person I was chatting to was uh, emotionless, and they replied, yes. Uh, and that was it, and I had to do it and come back and line up for another hour or so. And I, I know I'm just whinging now, because uh, you have to listen to me for my whinge. Uh, but you get my point, right? Some, some things are just necessary, and they're annoyingly so. It must be done, and it's frustrating, but it's necessary. But then there are some things that are significantly necessary, and they're of the utmost importance for life. Uh, Some of you might remember this, uh, actually, uh, and this is probably going back, uh, it's about six or seven years ago now, but some of you might remember this, that uh, my third child who was born, her name's uh, Evelyn, we call her Evie, she likes to be called Evie, but when she was born, she had a heart condition, and uh, we we found out in utero, so we we found out uh, prior to her being born that she had this condition, but six months before she was born, the doctors were, were very clear to Emily, my wife and I. They said she had to be operated on the moment she was born. That was it. It was necessary. There was no other way. It must be done. And so, at two days old, uh, they did. They, they operated, and, and there was our, you know, our beautiful uh, newly born little girl, who then had to have open heart surgery. And it was, it was a horrible thing to have uh, to go through. And and praise God that it went well, but it was necessary. It's the the hardest thing that Emily and I had done up to that time, but it had to be done. And it was significantly necessary. And as we come to this passage tonight, we see the most necessary moment and event of all of history. And that's not just me as the preacher getting excited. You know how preachers, they like to exaggerate. They like hyperbole. That's what we do. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, This is the most significant event that we're going to think about tonight. Uh, And for two reasons, I want us to see this. One, Jesus' journey to the cross and his death was necessary. And two, the way in which it happened, which we'll see as his uh, disciples flee from him and abandon him, uh, and the way in which all of Israel and and the leaders of Israel abandon him, uh, and the way that Jesus gets arrested, we'll see that all that was necessary. And without those two things that we'll see tonight... All of humanity would be lost for all eternity. And that's not hyperbole. That's just the way it is without Jesus. But firstly, let me remind you where we've come from in the last couple of weeks. Uh, As Troy's already said, we're up to the passion narrative. These these are the last hours of Jesus' earthly life. Uh, Again, what they call the passion narrative. He's going to the cross to his death. And we'll pick up today exactly where we left off from last week. So have a look with me from verse 30. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Make sure, again, you've got your Bible there. And so uh, verse 30, it's, it's straight after the Lord's Supper that they had last week. Remember, they shared that meal together. And we uh, read, uh, following on from last week, verse 30, after singing psalms, just after their meal, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so this time, uh, picture the scene. There's Jesus with his disciples. And now there's just 11 of them. Judas has taken off. He's gone off to betray Jesus already. And uh, they're no longer in a room together, so don't imagine them sitting in a room, sharing a meal. That uh, They've left that place, and they're in this uh, other place outside of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. So they're in a new place. And if Jesus' words to his disciples uh, last week was a bombshell, if you remember Phil's comments about what Jesus says, well, we've got another one this week. So look at verse 31. Verse 31 then Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Tonight all of you will run away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And we're up to point one on your outlines now. The disciples will flee, it is necessary. And as we uh, jump back into the, the story from last week with this bombshell again of Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if the disciples at the time thought, how could you say that about us, Jesus? Just think about it. The disciples have been with Jesus through thick and thin for the last three years. And they've been loyal to him. Uh, Over the last few days, as in in, in the narrative in Jesus' life, over the last few days of Jesus' life, things are really heating up. The, the, The leaders of Israel, they've been looking to trap Jesus because they want to kill him. And the disciples know this, but there they still are, with him. They're loyal to him. They're not running away. And so how could Jesus say that about them? And so as is often the case, if you remember what the disciples are like, the first one to pipe up and object, it's Peter, of course. So have a look at verse 33. Verse 33, Peter told Jesus, even if everyone runs away because of you, I, Peter, I will never run away. And uh, I don't know how the other disciples felt about Peter at this point, but no doubt they heard him. Peter's a pretty boisterous kind of guy. He probably said it out loud. Uh, he sounds a bit like a rivaling kid. You know, don't worry, mum. Uh, I'm not like my brothers. I'm not useless like them. I clean up after myself. I don't leave my water bottle at school and forget about it and lose it. Uh, I know, Jesus, these other disciples, they might be unreliable, but, but don't worry, I'll never let you down, Jesus. Not me, not Peter. But as adamant as Peter is... Jesus says with even more confidence and surety, he says, look at verse 34. He says, I assure you, Peter, tonight, and notice the immediacy of it there. It was the same in in verse 31 tonight, this night, before the rooster crows, you, Peter, who are oh so sure of your loyalty to me, well, you will deny me three times. And if what Jesus says here is true, if Judas has already left, one of his 12, one of his closest to him, has already left to betray him, which he has. And if the rest of the disciples are about to abandon Jesus, which they will. And if Jesus' own closest of friends. See, Peter was one of the three closest to Jesus. If even Peter will deny him, and not once, not twice, three times. Well, as you look on this scene, everything seems to be falling apart for Jesus. He's heading towards ruin from what we can see. It's like one of those you know, spectacular falls from fame, You know that one-hit wonder where one minute the world is at their feet, uh, everybody's singing their praises, and then suddenly it all goes south and uh, everyone leaves that person. Everyone moves on, you know, the media, the news cycle, they forget about them, or even worse, they accuse them now because they're, they're not the flavor of the month anymore. You see, it was only a week or so earlier that the crowds were saying of Jesus. Do you remember the, the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem? Only a week before. What were they saying? Hosanna, praising him. Crowds were flocking to him. And now, from the outside, it looks like it's just falling apart. You know, this, this one-hit wonder, wannabe but couldn't be sort of thing. This is what we must remember with these chapters of Matthew. And uh, this is what we must remember, particularly with chapters 26 to 28, that we'll look at over these next few weeks, is that all of it, none of it, is outside the sovereign plan of God. And we'll read some stuff which is good and will warm our hearts, and other stuff that's, that's bad, and other things that are just plain evil as you see what happens to Jesus on the cross and how it happens. But what we need to remember, all of it, is the will and the plan of God the Father and God the Son. And look again at verse 31. See, what does Jesus say, verse 31? He says, Tonight you, disciples, will fall away. Why? For it is written. In other words, because God's word in the Old Testament had said this. It declared, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So be no doubt, Jesus knows the plan. He knows his disciples will abandon him. It's written. Even more than that, Jesus knows that all of Israel, that the people of God who are supposed to be waiting for the Messiah to come, Jesus knows that they will all abandon him. Even in the coming hours, they'll do that. And so as we look in, we've got to remember, things are not falling apart for Jesus. No, they're actually going to plan. And did you notice uh, Jesus' comment in verse thirty-two? So have look at verse thirty-two. Because I think the disciples completely missed it. They're they're so uh, you know caught up and and fixed on Jesus' words about them falling away from him that they actually missed what he said. Look at verse thirty two. Jesus says, But after I have been resurrected, I know I'll die, but I'll be resurrected, I will go ahead of you, you disciples, to Galilee. So, yes. I will be struck. Yes, I will die, but I will be raised. And and I will go ahead of you, you disciples, to, to Galilee, which suggests that even though the disciples might fall away for a time, they will be reunited with Jesus, with their Messiah. See, the disciples, they will flee, and it's necessary. It must happen. But as horrible as that would have been and was going to be for Jesus, his own closest friends, in a sense, abandoning him, things will only get harder in the coming hours. And we're up to point two now. Jesus will drink the cup. It is necessary. Read with me from verse 36. Verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which is at the base of the Mount of Olives. And he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And no doubt as these disciples heard Jesus say these words to them, they would have begun to worry. See, the whole time they've been with Jesus in all his ministry, Jesus had never been overcome. Not like this, nowhere near it. And just think of the stuff that Jesus had, had gone through so far in his ministry. What happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry? Forty days, he was in the wilderness, had nothing to eat, was starving, and who comes? Satan, the tempter of tempters, uh, the one who could tempt uh, better than anybody else. And how was Jesus? He was calm, he was resolved speaking the words of God back to Satan. And remember the scene on the, on the Sea of Galilee with the big storm that came up when the, when the disciples themselves were in the boat with Jesus. And the storm was so fierce that the disciples feared for their lives. And these disciples, they were expert fishermen. Uh, that They lived and breathed the Sea of Galilee. So if they were scared, it was a massive storm. They could definitely have died. And how was Jesus? Asleep. And then he gets up. And with all composure, he commands the wind and the waves. And again, even in just the last few days, the leaders of, the, of, uh, of Israel, they were looking to trap Jesus to kill him. And was Jesus worried about being killed? Was he worried about being trapped from the Pharisees? No, he, he was plain speaking to them. I remember just a few weeks ago, we looked at the woes. He, just, he hammered the Pharisees for their evil and wickedness. Woe, whoa, woe for what you've done. He, didn't, he wasn't overcome. He didn't care if they were going to kill him. See Jesus was never overcome, never overwhelmed, never in distress, never in sorrow to the point of death for all the hard things that happened to him. So why now? Why now? See something so significant is about to happen to Jesus that it leaves him in anguish. And what is it? We'll look at how Jesus prays. Look at verse 39. So, going a little farther from where those three disciples were, Jesus fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And if we're to understand Jesus' anguish here, we need to understand what Jesus means by this cup. And there are several places that we could go in the Old Testament to understand the cup. But if you look at your outlines, I put some references there to Jeremiah 25, and we won't go there now, Uh, read it later, it'll do you good. But the cup there is the cup of God's wrath. It's God's right and righteous anger and judgment against the sin of the world. And as you read Jeremiah 25, those who are to drink that cup of God's wrath, they're the ones who are guilty. They're the sinners. They're actually all the sinners, all the nations, even Israel themselves. And what Jesus was about to do was drink that cup of God's wrath in the place of sinners. And when you stop and think about that, you can understand why Jesus was deeply distressed. You can understand why he fell face down on the ground, prostrating himself in prayer to his father Is there any other way, Father? Any other way instead of drinking this cup? See, I don't think we often reflect on this enough. I was challenged myself as I prepared for it this week to think on this more. I don't think I have. You see, Jesus was about to drink judgment for the sin of the world. Just think about the sin of the world. He was going to drink God's judgment for the sin of greed, for the sin of hatred. For the sin of extortion, of idolatry, lust, theft, murder. He was going to drink that cup for the sin of our selfishness. In the ways that we don't love our God wholeheartedly, our creator, the way he made us to be. He was going to drink the cup for the sin of our lack of unconditional love for each other and love for our neighbor, Because that's how God created us to be. And again, that's not preacher's exaggeration. It's not you know, Micah getting a bit overexcited with hyperbole. Jesus was about to drink the cup of God's wrath for the sin of the world. And even that little list there that I read out for us, that, that doesn't even begin to list the sins that our world is capable of. Just think of the Ukraine and what's happening over there now. Open the paper on any day and read it and see the sin that our world is capable of. And Jesus was going to suffer judgment for that sin. See, can you imagine that? When I just imagine my own sin, having to stand before God and face his judgment for my sin without Jesus, that horrifies me. And yet for Jesus, it's the sin of the world. We can't imagine this. It's beyond our human minds to imagine and comprehend it and so of course Jesus was in anguish. Of course he was deeply disturbed, face down in prayer. And remember, Jesus was to do this as the perfect, sinless saviour. He didn't deserve any of it. And as he faced this judgment, or was just about to face this judgment, who, who was giving the judgment? It wasn't some, some judge that he didn't know. It wasn't some prison guard that, that was distant from him. It was his own father's wrath. That he was going to face. This is embarrassing for me to say. It's uh, it's confession time for my failures uh, as a parent. Uh, Now it's 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 right. It's good for for a father to discipline their children to teach their children. That's a good thing. A parent should do that. But uh, on one occasion, there I was, you know, laying down the law with one of my kids, uh, rightly telling them what for. Again, it's a good thing. They need to learn. They they've got to do the right thing and live God's way. It's all good. And uh, as kids do, they, they get upset when they get in trouble. That's right. That's normal. Uh, sometimes they cry. You know, their face kind of goes all wrinkly and then tears might flow. And as a parent, you almost feel like, feel like kind of pulling out that moment, like you're really sad for your kid who's getting upset. But, it, but it's good. They need to learn. So there I was, being a responsible parent, you know, responsible father to my child. And then Emily, my wife, said, No, no, it's not that one, it's the other one whoops, Uh, and it's like, I've got four kids, right? It gets confusing at times, I get it wrong. But this poor child, you know, who was innocent, at least for this particular crime, other crimes, that's another thing. Uh, But there they were, you know, copying it from dad, and and they hate getting in trouble from dad, and and even more so when they've done nothing wrong, and it rightly breaks their little hearts to, to be punished and get in trouble. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the perfect son, who is innocent, who was always innocent. And yet he was willing to face the wrath of his father. Why? For the sin of the world. I can be blunt for your sin, for my sin, because he loved his father. And having to suffer such an experience from his father... Well, that brought him unimaginable anguish. And so what does Jesus do in this moment as he, as he looked towards drinking that cup? He prayed. He prayed asking his father, is there any other way besides drinking the cup? Which is good. That's right for Jesus to pray. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to face it. You know, he didn't desire to suffer the wrath of his Father, it's a sin of the world. And what would it say about the relationship of God the Father and God the Son if Jesus was indifferent about that? If he thought, oh, well, who cares? That's easier to face my father's judgment. Or I didn't care about that. Of course he didn't want to do this. He was in anguish over the thought. And so Jesus prays. And then he prays again. Look at verse 42. He prays, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And then what does Jesus do? A third time, a third time, verse 44, he prays again, asking the same thing. And at this point, uh, people want all sorts of theological questions answered. You know, if Jesus is God, didn't didn't he know that there was no other way? Uh, Or isn't everything possible with God? You know, can't God do the impossible? So why can't he do this? And it's good at times to ask those questions and to think theologically, and there are answers to those questions. Uh, Jesus here he, he expresses sometimes in the Gospels his human will, uh, other times his divine will. We saw that back in Matthew 24 when, when Jesus said, Not even the Son knows the hour or the day when, when he would return. Uh, and yes, you know, nothing is impossible with God. God can do any, anything and everything, but, but God can never act against his own perfect character. You see, for sinful humanity to be forgiven and to be saved, then punishment had to happen. Someone, a person, had to suffer and pay the price for sin. Otherwise, there would be no justice, no judgment, no justice, and therefore God cannot be just. And it's impossible for God to be unjust. And I say those things, but it's a distraction. Because we can't miss the point of what's being said here. You see, we're not to get tied up in those questions. The point is, Jesus here was rightly in deep anguish. We, we have this, this privilege of being able to see into the heart and mind of Jesus at this point as he faced the, the, the punishment for sin, as he faced the wrath of God, and he was in anguish at the thought of drinking the cup. And did you notice the very important thing that Jesus said each time he prayed? He said, Not my will, Father, but your will. Your will be done. And for Jesus to be that perfect son, for him to be that perfect human, who who could die in our place for the sins of the world, well, in his own desires and will was always to do the will of his Father. And Jesus lived here the way he taught us to pray. Do you remember Matthew chapter 5? I think it's chapter 6, sorry. He, He taught us how to pray, Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And Jesus, here does the Father's will right to the last dregs of the cup of wrath that he was about to drink. And all of it was necessary. There was no other way for the world or for you or me for that matter to be forgiven unless Jesus suffered that cup. And I think all we can do at this point as we reflect on this and think about this is say, thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus, for what you've done for me, that you would do that for me. One person puts it like this. It's up on the screen. Our best response to what we learn about Jesus here is hushed worship. And I think that's right. See, how truly great is our Lord and Savior that he would do that for us in his love for us. There's one more part to our passage for today. And uh, at this point, I want to return to Jesus' disciples. And we're up to point number three now. All abandon Jesus. It is necessary. And do you notice what Jesus asked the disciples to do while he was praying to his father? So you have a look at verse 41. Because he asked his disciples to watch and pray. And why? Verse 41, so that you won't enter into temptation. And given the bombshell that Jesus had given them that, that all of them would abandon him that's right for Jesus to ask them. You know, you my disciples you're about to fail me, you're about to deny me. So watch, watch and pray, be alert, be aware. Uh, don't deny me. Don't abandon me. But of course, uh, they can't. Jesus even says in verse 41 he says the spirits and there it's not the Holy Spirit, it's like your inner being, you know, your your inner spirit sort of idea. You know, the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. So the disciples, they, they fail to watch, they fail to pray, they fall asleep. And in that little scene, I think we're meant to see how utterly helpless we are in our own strength. You know, even good old, bold, boisterous Peter, uh, the, the, the gun ho one who, I'll be there for you, Jesus, I'll always be loyal for you, to you, Jesus, he can't do it. He fails, we all do. But the other thing I think we see here is how alone Jesus was in all of this as he went to drink that cup, as he went to the cross. And we see that in the next scene as well. So look with me from verse 45. Verse 45, Jesus' disciples again had fallen asleep. And so he says, Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. My betrayer is near. And verse 47, who turns up? Judas. Judas. One of the twelve of Jesus' disciples, and Judas comes with a mob, you know, with swords and, and clubs, and they've been sent by the chief priests and elders, the, 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 the leaders in Israel. And with verse 49, we get the infamous kiss of betrayal. And more importantly, we get the fulfillment of Jesus' words from last week. He said this would happen, he said one of the twelve would betray him. So, verse 49. Judas went right up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And with that, it was done. The betrayal had come. Death was all but sealed. But uh, good old Peter can't help himself, <laughs> can't help it, uh, can't just stand by and watch. And uh, I want to be fair to Peter actually at this point because he does what he said he would do. Uh, in verse, 30, uh, verse 35, Peter said, Uh, Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never deny you. And at this point, he's willing to die for Jesus. So verse 51, have a look. Verse 51, the the mob, uh, the crowd there, they were arresting Jesus. And at that moment, one of those with Jesus, which we know is Peter, reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. And every time I read that, I, I can never quite tell if Peter was like this really skilled swordsman. That it was so accurate, it's kind of, whoah, you know, cut the guy's ear off, bit of a warning to him. Or if the guy was just really lucky that his head didn't fall off with his ear, uh, I reckon it's the latter. But uh, either way, Jesus will have none of it. It's not the plan. And I love what Jesus says next. I think this teaches us such a great truth. See, look at verse 53. Jesus says, Do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, don't you realize who I am? I'm God in flesh. I'm God with you. I'm the Son of God. If I wanted to stop this arrest, if I wanted to stop my death on the cross, I could call on thousands of angels right now to come and to smite this tiny little army with their clubs and their swords. You see, we must never buy the lie that Jesus died at the plan of men. He didn't. Sure, the men had a plan, the people had a plan to kill Jesus, but they only did it because God willed it. And they only did it because Jesus willingly went to his death to drink that cup. And it's with the next verse that we see a key to this whole section. See, look at verse 54. Because Jesus says... How then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? It's necessary. And so Jesus had to be abandoned and then Jesus had to die and then Jesus had to drink the cup of wrath. And even the way in which it happens was necessary. So look at what Jesus says in verse 55. He says, you know, why these clubs? Why these swords? Why, why trap me in this way as if I'm some criminal? I've been preaching to the crowd and you didn't arrest me then. Why? Because you know that I haven't done anything wrong. You know I'm not a criminal. That's why you come in the night to, 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 to take me with this mob in the dark because you know I'm innocent, but you're treating me like a criminal. Jesus says, verse, verse 56, sorry, Matthew says, verse 56, all this happened so that the prophetic scriptures would be fulfilled. It had to happen this way. And as we finish, I want us to see how the prophet Isaiah, and remember, he he wrote what we're about to read 700 years before Jesus was born. Jesus had the scroll of Isaiah. It was written about this, about him in this way. And Isaiah prophesied with such clarity that all this would happen in the way that it did. And we can't read all of Isaiah 53. Uh, You'll be blessed if you go home tonight and read Isaiah 53 in full. If you don't do it tonight, do it tomorrow morning. It It will serve you well. But here are a few verses from Isaiah 53 that spoke about this Jesus who would come. It's up on the screen. Speaking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by a man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, our sins, crushed because of our iniquities. And punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. They made his grave with the wicked like a criminal, although he had done no violence and had spoken had not spoken deceitfully. He submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. I hope you find that incredible. Just incredible that Jesus faced all that for us. He bore our sins and he interceded for us so that we rebels could be forgiven. And what we see in Matthew 26 is that Jesus did it all alone. See the end of verse 56 there, what happens to the disciples? Well, just like Jesus said, they all deserted him and ran away. And it just shows how helpless the human plight of sin is. Uh, even Jesus' own disciples are not strong enough to stay faithful. I'm going to wait for that. We're going to celebrate something even greater in a moment, so I'm going to wait for that. We go for a while. Local fireworks, they're always cheap. They don't go long. You see, Matthew 26, because I want us to get this point, teaches us that Jesus did it alone. And it just shows that uh, his own disciples, they weren't strong enough to stay faithful. It even shows that God's very people, the Israelites, who were supposed to know about the coming of the Messiah, they weren't even wise enough to recognize Jesus as Son of God. And it reminds us that we can never boast before God. We can never boast and say, we did it, any of it, because Jesus did it all. And he did it without any of us, without any human help. He did it alone. He did it abandoned. He he did it without any human intervention. And he did it for us. And he did it for the glory of his Father. And this is one of those passages where there's no great application point for us to go home and do. There's nothing for us to take from this to go, okay, I need to go and do this. Now, this is one of those passages of Scripture where we simply need to be in awe of our great God. We need to reflect and meditate on what Jesus has done. We need to see how serious sin is. So serious that that facing the wrath of God brought Jesus so much anguish. That, That if ever we had to face the wrath of God, that we should understand the anguish and the punishment that would follow. It reminds us of how hopeless we are because we would have abandoned Jesus just like the disciples did. And how helpless we are because we could never pay the price for our own forgiveness of sins. You see, it was necessary for Jesus to be abandoned. It was necessary for Jesus to die. It was necessary for him to drink that cup of wrath. And praise God that he did that for us. Otherwise, all of humanity would be lost for all eternity. Our best response to what we learn about Jesus is hushed worship. Well, let me pray and thank God now. Heavenly Father, all we can do in light of what we hear tonight is thank you and praise you for all that you've done in Jesus, your Son. And Father, we pray that in light of what Jesus has done for us and his love for us, that we might therefore give all of our lives in worship to you, remembering what it costs Jesus for us to be forgiven. And in light of that, just being in awe of him and wanting to give all we have to him for the sake of his glory and your praise. We ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.